<laughs> sense of theme here. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Uh, thanks for downloading, listening to uh, the podcast of the Gary and Shannon Show. Now, if you want to listen to it live, you can do so every weekday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the greater Los Angeles area on KFI AM 640. Or you can go onto the iHeartRadio app and just type in KFI and listen live, listen to old shows, etc. Make sure that you subscribe not only to this podcast and share it with all your friends, but the pre-post podcast as well, which is bonus content that we can't do on the air for legal purposes. I would ask the viewers at home turn their volume down because I might get crazy. Welcome to the zoo. We are the monkeys. His delivery doctor was drunk. Left three extra inches of umbilical. Gary Hoffman. He's blind as a bat and drunk as a stump. Shannon Farron. You got to be. If I wanted crap shoved down my throat, I'd be a foie gras goose. Gary and Shannon. Shannon. Some mixed news this morning. Good news in that some people are being allowed back into their homes. Some areas reopening. Calabasas, Hidden Hills areas. Uh, But still probably no power in a lot of these places. Westlake Village has limited areas reopened. Agora Hills. We're... uh... Watching this uh, flare-up now in the Lake Sherwood area, and some new evacuations are possible, they're saying. Um, And that Lake Sherwood area is just as rugged as every place else. And there's some unfortunate signs that we can see from some of the helicopter shots. Very, very thick black smoke, uh, which is an indicator that this thing is burning very aggressively in some of these areas. Carlisle Canyon, Lake Sherwood, and Boney Mountain areas, they say people who are nearby those places and those downwind of the area should be prepared to evacuate. Uh, Chris Ancarlo, a busy little bee, is uh, on his way out there, and he's going to contact us in a little bit as we get uh, deeper into our coverage here. But the update on acreage for the Woolsey Fire, 96,314 acres, 35% containment. Uh, the the day yesterday only brought with it bad news, although the fire itself, they were able to, contu- uh, sorry, to cut containment line around more areas about, uh, of it. But the idea that we went from just about 170 structures to well over 300 it is disappointing. Not that it burned then. It's that they've been able to get into some of those areas to check on those homes. Well, and let's not forget the thousands of homes they've been able to save. Yeah. Uh, more than 57,000 or something like that. The, the fire is currently 35% contained, but they say that that could change. That could go up. It could very well go down. A red flag warning is up for both counties, L.A. and Ventura, until 5 p.m. tomorrow. It's also important to, to let you know that the numbers that they're working with when it comes to these numbers of structures destroyed, they're estimates. These are preliminary estimates because they've only been able to go into about uh, 20% of the affected area. So they're running on a number. This is uh, hopefully will go down, but the number they have right now of 435 structures destroyed is is uh, a conservative estimate, perhaps, and they're betting or hoping that that number does go down. 
It is a frustrating time up in Northern California. We told you yesterday how people were going from hospital to police station to shelter to other shelter to try and find those that are still missing. And uh, 42 confirmed dead up there in the Paradise Campfire area. Coroner search team still searching for more possible victims. They say that when they're seeing multiple vehicles in a driveway, there's a possibility that uh, people couldn't escape and that their remains are there in the rubble. And the remains, by the way, are hard to uh, hard to identify. Yeah, and they're going to be lucky in some of those instances, unfortunately, to come up with anything. We said this yesterday, the idea that the fires were burning so hot for so long that they were able to melt the engine blocks of some of those vehicles. You can imagine what it would do to a human body. So they have been bringing in, according to the Butte County Sheriff, what uh, is so uneloquently referred to as cadaver dogs to go in and see if they are able to find remains. Portable morgues. Uh, I mean, they're bringing in DNA teams that I don't think I've ever heard of in a situation like this. But we've also not seen a situation like this. This is was the most destructive fire a couple of days ago and just in terms of the number of homes that were burned at well over 6,500 now to now the deadliest with 42 fatalities. It's It doesn't get any better. And the people, my Facebook feed, knowing some people who live in that area is now full of pleas for GoFundMe pages for information on how to donate. Uh, the donation center is full. Here's the best way to come up with a secondary donation. It looks like state investigators who are working to determine the cause of this super deadly fire have zeroed in on PG&E. We'll talk about that when we come back uh, because it looks like a woman who lives in the area where the fire began had put out a call to PG&E reporting some sparks. And uh, PG&E has shut down its lips on this thing. Yeah, and yeah. I remember it was it was a month ago when we were talking. It was making headlines that they were going to de-energize a bunch of these lines because of the winds that were coming right. through. And then they, I don't know. I don't know why they didn't do it this time. Okay, well, we have some good news. Oh, we're finally getting back at least to a little bit of normal here on the show. Which means... We've got your chance at $1,000. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the nationwide keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's WIN to 200-200. If you win, they'll give you a call before the top of the hour. But you got to answer that call to win the $1,000. You know, the wind is doing things to all of us. Is that what it is? Yeah. It's, it's been bugging me all day. Yeah, it's just the wind. It's very dry out. I'm going to take a drink of water while you... Okay, yeah. Answer that phone call. It will be a number you don't recognize if you don't pick up. They will move on. Your next chance to win next hour between uh, about five five minutes or 20 minutes after. You could at least turn your mic off. Oh. 20 minutes after the hour. You get a chance to win $1,000 once an hour Monday through Friday from 5 a.m. to 620 right here on KFI. Wow. Wow. Maybe it might be time. Crews have started that air attack on this new flare-up here. This is in the Lake Sherwood area, west of Westlake Village. Flames covering a massive hillside. It looks like there's really no way to get to this thing on the ground. 
with yeah. the terrain they're dealing with. Uh, it's out off of Potrero Road is where they're saying specifically. And the warning right now is because this flare-up came up so quickly is, listen, if you can see or smell this smoke or you know where this fire is, chances are you should probably be ready to evacuate if you haven't already. Carlisle Canyon, Boney Mountain areas, yeah, get ready to go. Um, that was the first time, by the way, the uh, C-130 that they were showing there as well. That was the first time I've seen one of those in, in town yeah. in terms of these fires. So uh, Chris Carlo is out headed towards that area, and we'll try to get him on as soon as we can to get an update to see what's going on out there. We're talking about the ta- the fire that wiped out the town of Paradise. Uh, 27,000 people that have had to relocate, 42 people killed and uh, there are still a number of people missing. There's a woman who lives and owns the land where the, the fire began. Her name's Betsy Ann Cowley. And she says that PG&E notified her the day before the fire. They gave her a call and told her that crews needed to head onto her property because the utilities' wires were sparking. Investigators have since declared that area... A crime scene. Looks like investigators are zeroing in on those PG&E power lines. PG&E has no comment on what Betsy Ann had to say, but did acknowledge that last week it was having problems with its transmission lines in the area just before the fire began. Well, and as you can imagine, last night there was a, a town hall meeting in Oroville, just south of Paradise, where the Butte County Sheriff, uh, law enforcement agencies, the fire department, and PG&E were there to answer questions, and PG&E was by far the number one target for the complaints of people because of the stories like this, because it looks like it's going to be PG&E that was at the beginning of this. Well, and here's the thing that I, I was thinking about, you know, with the legislature saying that PG&E and other power companies can go ahead and pass on the costs of the lawsuits when they kill people with their power lines through right. these fires, that, like, they don't care. I mean, there's no—what skin in the game do they have to keep their equipment up and running? And working correctly. You know, what skin in the game do they have to get to Betsy Ann's house lickety-quick to make sure they're not held liable for all of the lives and homes lost in this thing? When they could pass on the cost to us, there's no sense of urgency. Yeah, uh, Chris Carlo has been out covering these fires and made his way back out towards the Lake Sherwood area where this big flare-up is going on right now. Chris, what's up? Yeah, right now I'm on the uh, the shores of Lake Sherwood looking back at these mountains. Uh, I've been watching these mountains a lot for the last couple of days from this vantage point because it's just been a really stubborn spot for firefighters. Now, this uh, this smoke plume blew up. It was it was pretty tall, probably uh, in excess of 10,000 feet. Right now I'm looking at the top of the ridge, a massive flare-up lighting up, uh, igniting along the ridge top. Uh, got a DC-10 and a couple other air tankers that are uh, painting the, the top of this ridge uh, with, uh, with the pink Fosjek. One, two, three, four, five, six, like kind of in the air right now. The uh, Chinooks, one of them is uh, is fully loaded with the uh, the 2,800 gallons it can carry. The other one just carrying one of the smaller Bambi buckets. It's like 500 gallons or so of water that they can drop at a given time. Uh, check that. Two, add two more helicopters to that. We've also got some uh, two sky cranes, and it looks like a... Uh, Another Firehawk may be further on down. So, um, And that one's actually dropping on a completely different ridge. My God, there's so many aircraft in the sky right now. Uh, looking at a spotter plane laying down some smoke. I'm 
and anticipating to see a tanker trailing it here in just a minute. I know they got a call out for two of the uh, very large air tankers, and those are going to be the, uh, the, the uh, uh, there we go dumping a ton of pink Foscheck right over the top of the mountain. This thing's just, its belly scraping right along these jagged ridges right across the uh, the top of Lake Sherwood. So uh, for people who don't know where this is, if you're driving up the 101 toward Ventura, you look on your left-hand side, a bunch of jagged peaks there as you pass through Westlake Village and Thousand Oaks, and uh, that is exactly where the fire is on the other side of the ridge at the moment. The uh, the winds seem to be blowing off toward the, uh, the ocean instead of back in this direction, but the fire keeps peaking up from behind the ridge, so I'm not really sure how the atmospherics are working in that specific spot, but I can tell you that there is a, a, wow, it's a hell of an air show right now in front of uh, you me. Know, I, I and mean, we've been calling you this go to a, You go to Huntington Beach, you see fewer aircraft. We've been calling this a flare-up or a spot fire. This thing is big. This covers, like Chris was saying, the top yeah, of big. the mountain range there. Pretty, pretty big uh, area that it has that it has expanded to pretty quickly. Yeah, it's uh, it's remarkable right now. Also, the uh, the smoke columns laid down here in the last like probably ten or twenty minutes, uh, which indicates one of two things: either they they're making forward progress on the fire, or the winds have shifted. I'm going to guess probably the latter because where it is. Yeah, it's it's next to impossible to get back in there. If you're looking at a map of the Santa Monica Mountains, this is the least accessible part of the Santa Monica Mountains. There is almost nothing back there in terms of infrastructure. Uh, you have some fire roads, and that's about it. And so, yeah, we're I'm trying to ascertain exactly where this fire is burning. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna connect with the fire department here in just a second. But I don't know if this is clearly coming across to you. Just the sheer number of aircraft that are in the in the air right now, and I can give it to you just one more count before. I know you got to run to a break here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight aircraft directly above me right now, and wow. they are pounding this That's thing. An yeah, we, we did see thing to coordinate. that Air Force C one thirty that rolled through and dropped that FOS check that you described, and then following behind it looks like uh, one of the also the very large air tankers that's coming through. And it's going to try to drop some sort of a line there as well. Now, L.A. County is very clear about the dangers. If you are in one of these areas where you should be evacuated or you have been evacuated, uh, they want you to be careful of things like down power lines, buckled roads that are very possible because the result of the heat from these fires, any landslides, obviously the air quality, and the chances are you're not going to have uh, electricity or cell service out there. So have you seen people uh, streaming out of the area, or do you think there's anybody in there left? No. No, no. And, you know, this is a tricky part because this specific spot had been kind of cleared, not cleared, and it's been uh, ambiguous for the last few days. So there are a number of, like, looky-loos that are on down here, um, and there are, you know, I don't want to say it's normal traffic. They have checkpoints all over the place, but there is traffic on these roads. Uh, I haven't seen people streaming out of here by any stretch. So I would imagine that people that were, you know, going to get out of town have already been out of town. And I don't think that this imminent threat is really changing anybody's mind at this point. All right, Chris. Chris, Thank you so much. Appreciate the update. Yeah, of course. Chris and Carlo, the latest flare up, it looks like on the Woolsey fire is in that Lake Sherwood area. Uh, out towards uh, Potrero Road as it heads west into the mountains there. Look at all that fuel. (laughs) That's unbelievable. Now, now this is definitely the area that hasn't burned yet, obviously, but it is sort of within the perimeters of where they have expected this thing to go. So there's plenty of 
unfortunately, plenty of brush and trees for this thing to burn up before they can get a hold of it. All right, we'll stay on it. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Players! Gary and Shannon on this uh, Tuesday, November 13th, continuing to watch this just amazing aerial maneuvering of all of these different helicopters, tankers, spotters, planes that are right now moving over the Lake Sherwood area. A flare-up in the Woolsey fire has uh, about started about an hour ago, a little more than an hour ago, and they said within 30 minutes it had already burned 50 acres. At least 50 acres, absolutely. Uh, this is Lake Sherwood uh, near Westlake Village uh, to the west here. They're saying that people in the area, Carlisle Canyon and Boney Mountain and Lake Sherwood should prepare to get out. But like you said, they are launching a full-on air attack on this thing. The terrain makes it so that a ground attack is virtually impossible. Um, but the coordination between these agencies mm-hmm. and uh, and these pilots is just really something to, to marvel at. Um, they have an Air Force C-130 out there. You can see the DC-10 is already flying through there. And uh, this is just a testament to how the coordination works between these different agencies that can come in, can talk to the same guys that they can, they can coordinate a dozen aircraft in the same airspace, very tight airspace, very bad flying conditions in terms of the heat. It's got to be a bumpy ride for those guys. Well, this is, um, this, we're going to keep an eye on this at 11 o'clock, by the way, is when we're expecting our latest news conference from the command post for the Woolsey fire. And we'll bring that to you as well to see if they have updates on what's going on in the Lake Sherwood area, but also anything in terms of evacuation orders that may or may not have been lifted uh, and some what they expect in terms of the weather conditions for today as well. Oh, yeah, and an update on a story that we had been following ever since uh, it came to our attention. This is the murder of Shanann Watts and her two little girls. She was pregnant as well, um, all three strangled and killed by dad. Uh, reason One of the reasons we picked up on this story is because Dad did an interview with a local TV station out of Denver there. And he uh, he was talking about how much he missed them and where could they be. And I keep all the lights in the house on for them, knowing full well that he had strangled and killed his family. And one of the eerie parts of the news reports was he's out in front of his home and at the same time, Dogs are searching the house, and it seems they hit on something during the interview and start barking wildly. Anyway, he has pleaded guilty to all of the nine charges he was facing. I cut a deal with prosecutors when they took the death penalty off the table. Now his parents are defending him. Um, I... I... Uh, now, I know moms will go to the ends of the earth to defend their boys. It's just one of those nature, science things <laughs> that I've noticed that happens with mothers and sons. I don't know what, I don't know the, the reason behind it, but it seems like when it comes to their boys, moms will freaking 
cut someone. Yes, and it <laughs> appears that she has decided that Crazy Town is a better place to live in order to protect her son. Cindy Watts, Chris's mother, uh, de- de- described the relationship, for example, with Shanann. You know, she's the mother-in-law. Cindy is. It was a very hard relationship. It was a very hard relationship with Shanann as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't do anything right. And that she says that Chris actually changed once he met Shanann. She says he was in sports from when he was five until he was 17 years old. There's not one person you can talk to that will say anything about this kid. He was normal. He didn't have a temper. He was easygoing, just like his dad. He's not a monster. Sweetie, your son looked at his little girls who were spitting images of him, four and three years old, and took the life out of their eyes. That is a monster. That is a textbook definition of monster. It's weird because they described their son's relationship with Shanann as abusive. And that she isolated Chris from his family when they were together. Okay, let's say that's all true. Let's say it's absolutely true that Shanann was a disaster of a wife. She cut him off from his family. We've all known somebody or a relationship like this. And uh, it's terrible. It doesn't excuse the murder of four people. Well, it's almost the way this the, the way they're saying this. It's almost as if the next step was for them to say, uh, yeah, Chris's relationship with Shannon was abusive. We always felt that she isolated Chris from us. The next step would be. So I kind of get it. I totally understand why he strangled his wife and children because she drove him crazy. Wait a minute. You guys are losing your minds. Dad said this. I just want the truth of what really happened. And his quote, if he did it all, I can live with it. If he didn't, I want him to fight for it. You're right. I would never. You would would say that? Uh, Yeah. I can live with it? I would be. Oh, my God. You can't. I can't imagine the horrible heartbreak I would feel. My son ever did something like this. And you'd be just you'd be broken to your absolute core. But the idea that that you're saying it like that, if he did it all, well, I could live with that. Chris Watts, remember, told police that he killed his wife only after he found out that she strangled their daughters. Dad says it's hard for, for me to believe that he would hurt the girls no matter what. The story he told me that night, I believed it. The way he looked at me, the way he, the way he was crying, I believed it. Now, the Watts family says they have not been able to talk to Chris Watts much since he was arrested in August. They didn't know anything about the plea deal. Uh, but mom says she doesn't see a difference in what happened. She says he's going to die in prison. There's no telling what would be done to him in prison. I just want him to fight. Oh, I don't know. Maybe he could be strangled like your little granddaughters were. She's a nut job. Yeah. I don't like to I don't like to judge when people are going through uh, crazy stuff in their lives, but this is pretty this is lunacy. Well, and you can imagine that Shanann's parents are upset with this. It's like the, they, the way got, they paint this. They've got more sympathy for their son who killed his little girls than they do their dead grandchildren. What the hell? Um she's the the parents of Shanann, Frank and Sandra said Shanann was a beautiful, faithful wife, the most gentle and loving mother in the world to her children, Bella, Celeste, and Nico, because she was pregnant, if you remember. She was also the best daughter any parent could ever hope for. Shanann was a wonderful soul. Monday evening, the parents of Chris Watts gave an interview in which they attempted to defend their son, and in doing so, they, they felt the need to make vicious 
grotesque and utterly false statements about Shanann. Those false statements, however hurtful and inaccurate, will never alter the truth about Shanann and will never alter the truth about the crimes committed by their son. So thankfully, her parents had a chance to speak out. Hey, we got a uh, tweet that asked if Malibu is still under mandatory evacuation. She says, I can't get clarity or find out if that is updated. The information that we have is that Malibu remains closed. Uh, The evacuations are still in place for Topanga and Malibu. There are portions of Hidden Hills. uh, Actually, the city of Hidden Hills fully reopened now, um, including all residences within the city limits, including the area west of Valley Circle there. Uh, City of Calabasas has limited areas reopened. City of Westlake Village, limited areas reopened and city of agora hills looks like it is back open for business as well in agora hills specifically it's south of agora road from chesboro to lindero canyon is the mandatory evacuation so outside of that okay and just a good note here if you're confused about these evacuation orders if you live in malibu uh there's going to be state and local firefighters police utilities are all holding a meeting tonight in santa monica to talk about evacuation orders specifically for that area. It's at 7 p.m. at Santa Monica High School on Olympic Boulevard. For updated information, you can go to lacounty.gov slash Wolseyfire. lacounty.gov slash Wolseyfire. An update as well. We're getting a news conference coming up at about 11 o'clock. So when that starts, we'll definitely bring it to you live to see if they have any updated uh, words in terms of evacuation areas, centers, or anything like that, especially this flare-up that's occurring right near the Sher- Lake Sherwood in the Thousand Oaks area where all of the activity appears to be with all of these different airplanes and helicopters trying to get this thing out before it expands. Monica Lewinsky and her blue dress back <laughs> no, in the news. You thought you were talking about her. Oh, my was, God. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm wearing green. No. That's no. not funny. No, uh, a different Monica spinach, back in the news. Spinach dip today? <laughs> November 13th, at the top of the hour, we're expecting an update from law enforcement and fire personnel dealing with the Woolsey fire. There was a flare-up this morning that appears to be slowing down a bit, at least in the terms of the speed with which it was expanding. But a flare-up in the uh, burn area off of Potrero Road, sort of in the Lake Sherwood area, west and uh, south of Thousand Oaks. That's where all of the activity is right now. Most of the aircraft in the area, if you've been uh, flying... Driving through the area, you can see all those, uh, the different aircraft, the helicopters, big DC-10, C-130s that are out there dropping FOSCheck, et cetera, on that flare-up. But we'll get an update, and we'll bring that to you live when it comes in from Thousand Oaks. Well, Monica Lewinsky back in the news talking about, well, the dress. This is an this is going to be interesting. Starting on Sunday night, A&E is doing a six-part, uh, six three-part documentary on the whole thing and it's called the clinton affair six-part series produced by alex gibney uh starts on sunday night there's a whole big piece in vanity fair i think she's on the editorial board at vanity fair she did a whole piece on in vanity fair about why she would even agree to do 20 hours of sit-down interviews for this yeah i don't get it for this thing i don't get it she's 45 years old put that in your pipe and smoke it She's 45 years old. 
this thing happened when she was 21, 22 years old, and she's now, uh, I don't even, she's coming to grips with it, I suppose. I mean, her piece in Vanity Fair explains, um, filming the documentary forced me to acknowledge my, to myself past behavior that I still regret and feel ashamed of. There were many, many moments when I questioned not just the decision to participate, but my sanity itself. Despite all the ways I tried to protect my mental health, it was still challenging. During one therapy session, I told my therapist I was feeling especially depressed. She suggested sometimes that, that what we experience as depression is actually grief. She went into detail about the day the piece of evidence, shall we call it, was created. The, the blue dress thing, right? Yes. Yeah. He had invited Monica Lewinsky to a White House radio address. Fascinating. She says that he said he had a present for me. I didn't quite know uh, would I get to see him alone, wouldn't I? He said, she says, as I went through to shake his hand after and take a picture with him, he said, oh, go see Betty. She has something for you. That's Betty Curry, by the way, longtime secretary for President Clinton. So Betty brings her into the Oval Office, and all three of us, she says, went into the back study, and she went into the dining room to hide there because the allusion to everyone else was that I was not alone with him. The president gave Lewinsky a box with a hat pin telling her that he got it for her because you always look so cute in hats or you and your hats or something like that. It's so very 1940s. A hat pin? Yeah. Well, the early 90s was a big time for hats as well, I believe, going back. Okay. Uh, remember, they were all over 90210. They had hats and no. crap. Uh, he gave her a really beautiful crap. copy of Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. Well, that seems right up his alley. She says, it was a very meaningful present to me. It's an intimate book that you don't give lightly. Whatever had been nagging in me is what I'm feeling real. Is that there? Whatever those insecurities were, they kind of vanished in some way with him giving me this gift. Now, here's a timeline issue. This was the first time that she and the president had been together since she had been banished to the Pentagon. Somebody made the decision to get her out of the White House during the reelection, during the 96 presidential campaign, because of the potential for their information, for their, for their relationship to leak out. So after he gives her a hat pin in this book, this Walt Whitman book of poetry, we move to the bathroom and we're more intimate. And I'm going to read to you her quotes because she tries very delicately to describe the situation. Quote, there was some attention paid on me. And then I was reciprocating where up, oh, and, no. where up until that point he had always stopped before. I don't need to hear this. I sort of stood up and said I wanted to move past that stage. And so he finally said, okay. That's when the dress was soiled. Nope. She says, and I quote, so that finished. And then I hugged him and he hugged me and off I went. She didn't notice the stain until she took the dress out for Thanksgiving, tried it on for Linda Tripp. Linda Tripp told her it made her look fat. The two women figured out that that, in fact, was not spinach dip. No, stop it. Just stop it. And let's talk remember, about leaves of grass. Linda Tripp encouraged her to keep the dress. Leaves of grass is a poetry collection. 
uh, all about Whitman's celebration of his philosophy of life and humanity. The book is notable for its discussion of delight in sensual pleasures during a time when such candid displays were considered immoral. Interesting. How come this guy? Oh, by the way, we didn't see him at all on the campaign trail for any Democrat at all for the midterm elections. Not one. Yeah, his popularity is is no no longer. Did you see the item in the Washington Examiner yesterday about Hillary Clinton will run for 2020, according to her former advisor? <laughs> Can you imagine? No. I can't wait. All right. Uh, we come back. We're standing by for a news conference from Thousand Oaks, the latest on the Woolsey fire and any flare-ups. We'll bring that to you live right here on KFI. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. We're going to go live to Thousand Oaks for the latest news conference on the Woolsey fire. This is uh, L.A. County Sheriff Jim McDonald. Sewers, roads, lights, and other things that make a city a city, particularly a safe one. Not since the devastating old Topanga fire back in 1993 has the area seen this kind of a firestorm. The fire was no different than any other major natural disaster, earthquake, tsunami, flood, from an incident command perspective. There are large trees and power poles that have fallen and are are at the brink of falling, potentially crushing anything in their path. There are real health hazards from potential toxic burning smoke to other health-related concerns such as power outages, water main leaks, gas leaks, and as you can imagine, many other issues. And then certainly there's the wind. We're in what we hope will be the last day of a major wind event, but we've seen largely spared because the wind gusts sometimes as high as 50 miles an hour have been blowing flames back toward the already burned out areas and not toward new neighborhoods. The fire that flared up along the 118 freeway in Simi Valley is an example of how quickly a fire can move and spread. Just over an hour ago, we experienced another flare up in the Lake Sherwood area of Ventura County, and the danger is far from over. If you're being held back, it's because your life and the lives of your family and neighbors are still potentially in danger. Numerous meetings occur every day with dozens of our county and city agencies, as well as our utility partners who are all responsible for the functionality of our infrastructure and overall safety of all of our residents. And this includes numerous fire agencies, building and safety departments, public works, Caltrans, health department, animal control, and supporting organizations such as the American Red Cross that have set up our shelters. We want to get you home, but more important, we want you to be safe. I will personally be working with our partners in the numerous cities and county areas, along with state and federal agencies who've come together to support our mission of returning our community and our residents to their homes. We're also reminding our personnel to deal with residents' questions in as, safe and as sensitive a manner as possible. Recently, we had reports of a small group of individuals taking independent action in the Malibu area who've responded to the area believing they can assist in protecting the community. For those individuals and anyone else concerned, our department and our partners and the personnel on scene are able to ensure the protection of life and property of our communities. And we would appreciate your cooperation in remaining out of the impacted areas while we work toward returning our residents and businesses to these neighborhoods. Currently, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department has 632 deputy personnel deployed throughout this fire incident. We've implemented 12-hour shifts uh, scheduled for majority of our deputy personnel to ensure that we have adequate staffing to be able to maintain the service and protection to the communities and residents that we serve. 
While we greatly appreciate the phenomenal work being done by all of our firefighters, law enforcement personnel, supporting agencies and organizations who have left their families in the service of both our impacted counties, we're grateful to our residents and local businesses who continue to be patient and understanding as we work together to restore our communities. This will not happen quickly, but it will happen with all of us continuing to work together as one community. Thank you for your compassion to our neighbors and to those impacted families, and may God bless each and every one of you during these challenging times for both Los Angeles and Ventura counties. Thank you. Next up, I'd like to bring from Ventura County Sheriff's Department, Captain Denise Sliva. Hi, good afternoon. Today I'd like to mostly speak to our operations that we're conducting today for the fires, for the Woolsey and also still the Hill fires. Uh, today we have 80 personnel devoted to the fires. Our objectives today for those personnel are to assist still with the repopulation of the areas that were evacuated, to provide high visibility patrol for the residents in that area so they can feel safe that we're looking out for looters, we're in the area, and also looking for possible flare-ups of, of the fire. Today we did have a flare-up uh, of the fire this morning. We experienced that over in the Hidden Valley area. The Hidden Valley area and Lake Sherwood areas that are south of Potrero Road continue to be mandatory evacuation areas. And so we sent, uh, immediately we sent about 40 to 50 personnel to that area to go through those communities again in case that area was repopulated. We did make contact with residents, reminded of, of the fire that was moving quickly their way, and were able to provide assistance for many of those residents that were fleeing the area. We also contacted uh, individuals that were operating drones in that area, and we want to remind the public that this is not the time to get that picture. We cannot have drones interrupting the fire efforts. We just cannot have that. It's not safe. Uh, we ask the public to remain vigilant. We do have that one zone that is a mandatory evacuation area, again, south of Potrero Road in the Lake Sherwood area and Hidden Valley areas. That is our only mandatory evacuation area in Ventura County. I was asked to um, let the public know in the Thousand Oaks communities and unincorporated communities of the Thousand Oaks and Oak Park areas, there will be a meeting tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. at the Civic Arts Plaza Sure Forum. That is for the residents directly affected by the fires. There will be services there to give information on uh, getting back home, essentially to getting the, service that, the services that you need, what is available to you. So again, that's tomorrow evening, Wednesday evening, 6 p.m. at the Civic Arts Plaza, the Sure Forum, for those residents affected. And one reminder again, for information on our evacuations and road closures, go to vcemergency.com. Thank you. From the California Highway Patrol, we have Lieutenant John Castro. Good morning, everybody. Um, the CHP continues to work to ensure the safety of our highways and roadways that we're responsible for. Um, I'll give you a quick update on the 101 freeway. Um, we have lifted all closures for all on and off ramps on the 101 freeway in the affected areas except for Liberty Canyon. So Liberty Canyon is the only remaining closure at this time. Um, as far as Pacific Coast Highway, PCH, it's still closed from Sunset to Las Posas. 
and uh, due to the new flare-up that uh, the sheriff just talked about, um, you can expect a possibility of additional closures uh, if conditions change in the Lake Sherwood or Westlake area. That's all we have. Thank you. Representative Ventura County Fire Department, we have Fire Chief Mark Lorenzen. Uh, good morning. I'd like to talk a little bit about the current fire situation. Uh, just prior to 9 o'clock, I was contacted by my operations chief on the Woolsey fire to give me a heads up that we're going to have some significant activity in the uh, lower portion of Carlisle Canyon. That activity became uh, pretty visible to the public about 9.15. You could see there was a large loom up, and what was basically happening there is there was a large unburned a couple of canyons of fuel there. The fire came into alignment at the bottom of the canyon, and along with our significant winds, it pushed it up towards uh, a prominent peak we call Boney Mountain. <laughs> Fortunately for us, we have incredibly robust resources in and around the uh, communities, specifically Lake Sherwood. We responded additional resources in there. I can tell the community that we are, are very confident that they are safe there. The wind is currently pushing the fire up and away from the populated areas. Again, what this points out to our public is that we are not out of the woods yet. We still have some incredibly tough conditions ahead of us. Please, as has been said in the past, please remain vigilant. Stay tuned to your local media outlets. We will let you know of any changing conditions. And please heed all evacuation warnings. Cal Fire, we have Deputy Chief Nick Schuler. Good morning. For the last 30 days, firefighters from across California have battled more than 500 new fires. In the last week alone, more than 225,000 acres have burned, including the most destructive and deadly fire in California's history, the Paradise Fire. Excuse me, in Paradise, California. To show the effort that's been made here in Ventura and L.A. counties, I have a couple statistics for you. More than 15 air tankers have dropped nearly a half a million gallons of retardant. 22 helicopters have dropped more than a million and a half gallons of water, and we have hundreds of firefighters still committed to this incident and more than 8,700 statewide. As Santa Ana winds continue and when the new fires begin, we ask the public to remain vigilant and listen to our law enforcement counterparts on evacuations. Thank you. Now from the Los Angeles County Fire Department, Fire Chief Daryl Osby. Good morning. Once again, Daryl Wasby, Fire Chief, LA County Fire Department. And once again, on behalf of Supervisor Sheila Q, whose third district is impacted, uh, we'd like to thank everybody for the response and their hard work, including the, the media. And I had an opportunity last night and this morning to go out visit some of our firefighters and sheriff deputies that have been on the front line since day one, just to talk about their stories and how they were scrambling to save lives and as you recognize that as a, pr a priority for first responders, our priorities are life, property, and then containment. And a lot of their initial efforts were just focused on saving lives. And they were proud from that respect that they were able to evacuate a lot of people. Um, this morning we were having a conversation and I was able to just reflect upon my career. And it's been a pretty dynamic career over the last uh, three decades that the only other challenging 
uh, incident that I've been on to this magnitude was Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Um, as we stand here today, the total acreage on this fire is 96,314 96, acres. Um, that's over 150 square miles, which is larger than the size of the city of Denver. Uh, I, I looked at our fire history maps this morning, and our fire history maps go back 100 years, and this is the largest fire on record, dating back over 100 years. To date, um, as I mentioned earlier, there in the footprint of this fire, there's approximately 57,000 structures. Um, unfortunately, to date, we, as our burn assessment teams are doing their assessment, they have identified 435 structures uh, that are destroyed. They're walking many canyons by foot or by vehicle in certain areas because the access is very limited. So it's going to take several more days for them to get a complete accurate account of structures lost. But in my estimation, that number is going to rise significantly as they go through more pockets of canyons um, heading west. As mentioned by my counterpart from Ventura County as it relates to the flare-up in uh, Carlisle Canyon, that's just an example of many canyons that we're concerned about in Los Angeles County. That's why the evacuation order is still in, in, in place. Um, we have our firefighter crews and copters working diligently in these canyons to try to keep these fires at bay. But we are concerned that as it relates to the winds today, they're going to subside. And then probably Thursday or Friday, we're going to have maybe some onshore winds, which is going to shift the wind direction and also shift the direction in which some of these fires are, can burn. So we're primarily concerned about the south end of this uh, fire in Malibu Canyon to keep it in that canyon and not let it come out of the canyon to go to other parts of Malibu and potentially Topanga Canyon. In conclusion, I know the sheriff talked about people going back home. Uh, we're doing all that we can to allow people to go back home when it's safe. I can't even relate to being evacuated this long, but we will let you go back home when it's safe where we have let people repopulate uh, the communities and go back home between the Los Angeles County Fire Department and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. We've established uh, occupant support teams, so we will have uh, personnel in those communities assisting people to shift to their homes if they've lost their property to provide support for them. If you're unable to find a team, that you can visit any local county fire station to do that. And last but not least, the last meeting I had this morning as we are trying to get this fire under control is to go to the, through the recovery phase and to allow people to start recovering from this uh, catastrophic incident. But also, too, was brought to my attention that sometime next week we're going to be expecting our, our first uh, rainfall for the, the, the year, which will be helpful for our firefighters. But as seen by the uh, experience in the Thomas fire from last year, that could potentially create some concerns with mud flows. So we're beginning to prepare for that. In conclusion, I would just like to thank the citizens for their cooperation and, and be safe. At this time, I'd like to open up to any questions. Preliminary, but Southern California Edison's power is over. Do you see that they may have had a type of malfunction? 
I just want to reemphasize that the fire is still currently under investigation. So we are looking at all avenues and potential causes as it relates to this incident. And once those are determined and made known, then we'll release them publicly. As it relates to Southern California Edison, that's part of their responsibility to file that report with the uh, California Public Commission. That it was brought to my attention that around the uh, start of this fire that they had some alarms go off in their system as it relates to their utilities. It's unclear if the alarm was caused by the fire. It's unclear if it was related prior to the fire or after the fire, but all those things are being investi investigated. The question is, should there be electrical equipment uh, in the areas that are vulnerable to fire that hasn't been hardened or reinforced? Maybe, maybe you're not the person to address that, maybe someone else could, because we've seen this with the Thomas fire, we've seen it up north with PG&E as well. I know it's the preliminary around. Yeah, I, I think that to get into technical details, we need to have Southern California Edison to speak to that. But generically, uh, we do need power to our homes and our businesses. And I am aware that um, our utility company is hardening the lines in our wildland interface areas. And I do know that they're filing an application to the commission to allow them to expend funds to continue that process to ensure that they're working with us to ensure that we have a safe community. Can you invite Edison here next? Conference. I will reach out to them. Can I ask you, is there a feeling that you're getting the upper hand, the containment number keeps rising, it seems that you're preventing the fire from going much beyond the footprint, you're basically trying to avoid getting spot fires and flares when they happen. Is there some reason for optimism now? Well, absolutely. I can just you can see by the fact that we don't have big loom ups that we're getting the upper hand here, and there is a lot of uh, confidence that, as it relates to the containment and control of this fire, that we're feeling better. Um, our containment percentages have increased. I know that this there there's a uh, a, a, a deep concern and and, and, and need and desire for our citizens to re come back to their homes, which we truly are sensitive to. Um, we feel as soon as we're comfortable in relation to the fire service side, our first responders from uh, the law branch and our utilities, because as it relates to these areas that are still um, evacuated, um, if you drive in there, we still have utility power lines down. Um, debris in the roads, landslides, uh, no services. And so we're so concerned about the safety and welfare of our citizens. And uh, life safety is always the paramount priority for first responders. Hey, could I ask a follow-up? You talk about getting the upper hand. Can you give me examples uh, that we can understand? Yeah. Where, can you give me examples where we would see the fact that the fire crews are getting the upper hand on this fire? The question was... Can we give examples of where we can see that the fire crews have getting, gotten the upper hand on, the, on, the, on this fire? And I think that that's evident by the communities that we've allowed to go back home. Um, and then we're reassessing more communities on the, uh, this side of the 101 freeway to allow them to go back home safely. Um, our main concern as it relates to uh, letting people go back home is primarily on the west side of the fire. And then once this fire threat diminishes, 
than the communities south and Topanga, Topanga Canyon, when we are we feel comfortable that it's safe for them to go home, then we'll make that determination and let them go back home. Chief, over the last few days, you've mentioned that more than 50,000 homes have been at risk. With the progress that you've made, are you able to give a number of how many homes may still be at risk? Do you feel that the risk has diminished? The risk has diminished significantly. I mean, when you think about this fire several days ago, it burned from Bell Canyon to the, uh, to the ocean with approximately 30 miles in length. So our firefighters have gotten the upper hand in a lot of parts of this, uh, this fire, including Bell Canyon. Our, our primary concern is in the, um, the, the, the everything west of us. There are still pockets of unburned brush. There's still a lot of hot spots with these winds. There's still a huge potential of embers uh, burning those pockets of brush, as, our, as mentioned this morning by my counterpart, and evident in Ventura County. And so once that subsides, then we can be able to let more people go home. And as I also mentioned, that on the south side of this fire, we were concerned about Malibu Canyon. Once we feel comfortable in that area, then we'll be able to let the people in Topanga Canyon go back home. Someone from Ventura County asked a Every fire official and law enforcement official will be available for comments, one-on-one -on -one questions. We're going to end this press conference now here at 11 o'clock. We'll update you for any other briefings. Again, everybody will be available for any other questions. Thank you. All right, that was the latest um, updates there from uh, from law enforcement, from fire personnel in Thousand Oaks for the Woolsey fire. Uh, and uh, Chief Darrell Osby from L.A. County was suggesting that this flare-up that we saw in the Lake Sherwood area appears to sort of be uh, dying down a bit. It expanded very quickly and was the subject of some incredible air support uh, helicopters, big DC-10, C-130 tankers that came through and were dropping that FOS check on there to try to keep that at bay. And it looks like it has calmed down quite a bit. Uh, what I found most interesting, though, was the ex uh, explanation from Chief Osby about what's going on with the investigation into how this thing started. And whether or not SoCal Edison is going to be popped for this. Now, we haven't heard much of anything from Edison other than to say uh, they're working to make sure that they do their part in response to the fire, making sure that the power lines are de-energized so that crews can work safely, et cetera. But it's, uh, it's also clear that in this fire and the fire burning in North, Northern California, that the utility companies may be the ones holding the bag here. Which, which means, I mean, which we, means are. we are, but, yeah. but they're the ones who could potentially be the cause for both of these fires. Now, the chief did say, in response to a question, he would reach out to SoCal Edison and invite them to the next news conference. Oh, I, think, I, I, I don't that think that they're going to be showing up. According to the CPUC, electrical infrastructure may have suffered malfunctions near a, near a ground zero, what they're calling ground zero of the fire on uh, last Thursday, uh, SEC issued an alert that a substation circuit near the Woolsey Fire origin relayed or sensed a disturbance on the circuit just two minutes before Cal Fire says the, the flames began. Now, they have not been able to, according to SoCal Edison, their personnel have not been able to access the area where the fire began. But like you said, uh, the state's also investigating 
what went on up there with the campfire in PG&E because they uh, they were supposed to head out to a, a woman's property the day before uh, to, to check on some sparks reported there, and they didn't. And yeah. the fire began and uh, wiped out 42 people and 6,500 homes. And you think about it, they were literally hours apart. The one in Paradise yeah. started at about 6.30 in the morning, I think is when the first flames were reported. Right. And then the fire here would have been about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So uh, obviously no connection because the, they're so far apart, but I mean the connection in that they both started under very similar circumstances, very high winds through these areas, and it looks like that they would have started in areas where these high-tension power lines were. It's just unfortunate because these kinds of things can be prevented if the uh, power companies are on their game. You know, when we've got arsonists setting fires and running wild, that's one thing, but preventable fires like this, it's just really a shame to hear that. They need to get their S together. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back with more coverage. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Uh, and money. You want to uh, do that? Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the nationwide keyword BANK to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's BANK to 200-200. Got to answer that phone if they call you. Make sure you get a chance to win next hour if they don't call you. Sometime between 12.05 and 12.20, you have a chance to win $1,000 once an hour, Monday through Friday from 5 in the morning. Through 6 o'clock, 6.20 at night, the first hour of the Conway Show right here on KFI. Hey, radio DJ, can you play that song that she loves so I can turn it up and maybe turn her on an American country love song? Gary and Shannon, do you hear about that Ford dealership in Simi Valley that got into some trouble? This is the ad, right? Ford yeah, dealership right. saying uh, in an ad, well, we didn't catch fire, but these deals are smoking hot. Take a look. Oopsie daisy. That ad has been yanked. Wow. <laughs> we are sorry. They did, they did say we are sorry. We expressed ourselves in a way that does not reflect our values. Mm. We're not all a-holes, I think is what the yeah. statement should have said. <laughs> Uh, we were just following for about 20 minutes there the update on the Woolsey fire from uh, from fire department uh, crews, from law enforcement, et cetera. Andrew Mullenbeck was out there. And, man, I love listening to your questions, Mullenbeck. You're the best. You seem to always get, like, the first question in, uh, too. Yeah. Are you are you paying off other reporters? I don't like, or? I don't like to wait around. Get right to it. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I get it. Cut to the chase. Hey, what, well, let, me, let me first ask before we get into too many details about the importance of yeah. Does Sheila Kuehl have dirty pictures of Daryl Osby? Why does he thank her every single every time, time he touches the microphone? Well, also, uh, an L.A. City fire official always uh, starts his comments by saying, on behalf of Mayor Garcetti and Chief Ralph Tarasas, and then he makes his comments. Well, I, well, so I think it's the because they did away with all the dignitaries, you know, because they caught so much heat over the weekend of having all the elected officials up there doing their political, look at it, I'm here, I'm in the face of uh, tragedy. And you, so now they still have to mention them, uh, I guess. I asked repeatedly uh, from Friday on uh, if the fire officials could actually speak first. They had the inf- and, and the sheriffs as well, because... The fire and sheriff's officials have all the information that listeners wanted to hear, namely right. which neighborhoods are open, where is the fire, what's at risk, but they were going last. And I guess that, that changed yesterday. 
because apparently there was some pushback in the community. People didn't want to hear uh, from all the elected officials before hearing from fire officials and, and sheriff's officers. All right. Well, let's get into some of the details. This uh, The flare-up that we saw today that uh, we talked with Carlo about last hour was in the Lake Sherwood area. They mentioned that today, right? Yeah, they did. In what they call Carlisle Canyon, it was a pretty amazing view just from where I am to the north of that. That's where this command post is. And you saw how many aircraft were hitting this so quickly. And that really is the difference between what we saw last week when this fire exploded in size and now the last two days when we've had flare-ups or a new fire, in the case of the one uh, next to the 118 freeway, with so many resources already here, when you get these flare-ups, even if they're big, in, in the case of what, what appeared to be to the south of the 101 today, they had so many helitankers and everything else ready to go that uh, they were able to knock it down. Uh, as far as the overall size of the fire, it really hasn't grown much at all for several days now. Uh, it's 93,000 acres or 96,000 acres, but it's, sorry, I don't have my notes up, uh, but but what actually did increase uh, was the number of homes that they've counted that have been destroyed, and this is L.A. County Fire Chief Daryl Osby. They've identified 435 structures uh, that are destroyed. They're walking many canyons by foot or by vehicle in certain areas because the access is very limited. So he fully expects that number to go up. 435 homes have been destroyed. Now they're walking through these canyons trying to get a better count. Uh, and we don't know how high that number is going to go, but he's certainly thinking it's going to go north of 435. One of the comments, he kind of made a personal comment, which he hasn't done so far, uh, that caught my attention. And he's been uh, in the business for 35 years. And he says... Only one incident in his career compares with this, and that was Hurricane Katrina, which he was there for. Um, so that gives a little bit of perspective of how how he views this incident. Uh, one other thing for historical perspective, he says, at least as far as uh, L.A. County, this is, this is as big as it's been. I, I looked at our fire history maps this morning, and our fire history maps go back 100 years, and this is the largest fire on record dating back over 100 years. Now, a lot of people have been let back into the neighborhoods, but power is out for, for a lot of them. Any uh, clue as to when that's going to be turned back on? No, and we don't have anybody from the, the power companies here. In fact, one of the reporters actually asked if we could have somebody at the next update uh, because so far we just had you know, Cal Fire, Sheriff's officials, uh, but we haven't heard from the utilities. So don't really have any information on that. Um, the, the big story is that they believe they've really turned a corner, that they have all the, the resources that they need, planes, helicopters, firefighters in the ground, more than 3,000 of them, so that even when we get these hot spots or these flare-ups, uh, they can knock them down. But again, that number of destroyed homes keeps going up, 435. All right. Andrew, thank you. You got it. Andrew Mullenbeck there was at this news conference there in Thousand Oaks. As we get updates on the Woolsey fire, um, they did say, to, to speaking to that end about SoCal Edison, they, they have basically said that Edison equipment could have had something to do with the beginning of this. But until we get actual word from, from Edison specifically, it's going to be a hard time. The other thing is um, fire investigators are going to be the ones who are going to be able to tell us that definitively if, in fact, it was Edison equipment that was at the beginning of this. Um, when we come back, actually, there's some more information as well about the potential for PG&E, the utility in Northern California, and SoCal Edison utility here, and their potential culpability in all of this. We'll talk more about that when we come back. Gary and Shannon. That's us. 
Gary and Shannon. Did you hear about this potential fight between the president's chief of staff, John Kelly, and the president's wife, Melania? Apparently, it's an odd there couple was, to get into a fight. I know. Apparently, there was a little dust up. Uh, two White House officials told NBC that Melania told the president earlier that John Kelly had repeatedly turned down requests to promote some of her aides. And Trump reportedly said to Kelly, give my wife whatever she wants. And it's just led to this rift. And that may mean that he is leaving. And they're talking about Nick Ayers, Pence's chief of staff, potentially taking over. Nick Ayers, my money was still on him for writing that op-ed. Oh, really? The anonymous op-ed. Oh. Um, it's interesting because there have been headlines today that uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly and that uh, Kirsten Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Security, could be out if, in fact, the president decides to shake up the cabinet a little bit more. We will get into more political news with an amended uh, Swamp Watch coming up in Speaking about a half an hour. Blake, give me the computer again. Uh, this was comments that the president made just a few minutes ago, actually, from the White House regarding the fires. I want to thank the firefighters and FEMA and first responders for their incredible courage in the face of very grave danger. Yesterday, I signed a disaster declaration for the state of California. We will do everything in our power to support and protect our fellow citizens in harm's way. And we say, I think, as a group... I can tell you as a group, God bless everybody. That's a very tough situation. All right. uh, So those are the president's comments. We've been talking about uh, over the last couple of days the potential for the utilities to be at uh, to be blamed for this. Now, for these fires, both of them, the Camp Fire and the Woolsey Fire. And as we've seen this, you know, it's publicly held company, PG&E. So they are their stocks are traded and they have seen. For example, yesterday they had to briefly suspend trading a PG&E stock because it was the worst performing stock on the S&P 500. Dropping 48% in two days. 48%. <laughs> Holy hell. Now, we talked about this as well earlier. Now, PG&E is the one that has lines up in Northern California that in that area where the campfire started. And there was a woman named Betsy Ann Cowley. She revealed that the company had emailed her Wednesday. To say that PG&E was going to need to investigate some of the power lines that were causing sparks on her land. By the way, her property, gone. She lives on 64 acres, and her property is right next to a junction with Camp Creek Road. That was where the first spark was reported the day after she got that email. Now, she was on vacation at the time. So if the PG&E people did come onto her land, she has no idea what the conclusion of the visit was, whether or not they they fixed something or saw that there wasn't a problem. But And I, I've mentioned this before a couple of times. I've had questions about the big headlines that were made last month, that when the big wind swept through last month, utilities were going to start shutting down lines because they didn't want to be responsible in these high wind areas that their lines are rolling through. They didn't want to be responsible if something were to happen exactly like this. So two days before this fire started, PG&E was telling customers in nine different counties in Northern California that they might shut off their power on November 8th. Because of this extreme fire danger, because of the wind events that were happening, one of those counties, Butte County. What's in Butte County paradise? Well, no more. Uh, The utility company ultimately decided to call off that shutdown, telling customers nine hours after that fire began that the weather conditions did not warrant the safety measure.
Now, there's two issues here. Number one, the sparks on Betsy Lynn's property or whatever the hell it is. Betsy Ann. Betsy Ann. That's the first problem, that the crews weren't out there sooner and, and mitigate that issue. Number two, who decided that the weather conditions were not warranting this safety measure? And furthermore, are we going to move forward going into the future with just our power being shut off willy-nilly every time there's a Santa Ana event or a Jarbo Gap event up in Chico or the Diablo winds in the Bay Area with the PG&E? Or are we going to change the way power companies are are giving us power because this could get ridiculous. Well, isn't it also possible? I, I don't know the technology involved, but we're talking about giant towers that hold these power lines, right? I mean, this is not necessarily just a line that goes through your neighborhood, you know, on the, on the pole that's 80 feet high. We're talking about a 200 feet high in some of these instances, especially way out where this took place because they keep those lines high above the trees. Isn't there some technology that's a a wind gauge on top of the tower that says once it reaches a certain wind speed or gust that it just de-energizes that line individually? I mean, right there at the source, it cuts off the power so that if something does happen, it is not energized anymore. Now, that's the PG&E portion of it. Southern California Edison also reported to the California Public Utilities Commission that there was an outage on one of the electric circuits right by the area where the Woolsey fire began later on Thursday. Two minutes after that outage occurred was when the report started coming in of flames. Underground power lines would be a good thing to put through California, right? They don't uh, sway in the wind. They don't uh, get hit by trees falling down. But you know what? They are wildly expensive do you have underground power lines in your neighborhood i don't think so because your neighborhood's older yeah let's see uh a new underground distribution line across most of pg&e's territory up north would cost about 1.2 million per mile according to data filed with state regulators that's more than twice the price of a new overhead line. New overhead lines cost about four hundred and forty-eight grand per mile. Uh, most of the cost, obviously, is uh, digging a trench for the cable. Wow. Uh, Twenty fifteen report found uh, this was up in San Francisco. Found that. There, they did move some power lines underground in Oakland, and that had averaged 2.8 million per mile. So it looks like in cities, it's a lot more expensive than it would be in in rural areas, which makes, makes sense. sense. Uh, if you look through some of those maps of the areas in uh, Polga, in Jarbo Gap, all those places where we're talking about this fire having started up near Paradise, and you look at say a, a satellite view. You can see those areas that have been logged, those areas where they're just giant, long, straight lines where the power lines exist so that the trees don't get, you know, they don't get caught up with the wires. And I wonder if it's uh, if that would make it easier because they've already they already own that land. In a lot of cases, they own the land directly underneath those power lines. If it would make sense for them to use that land to put some of those things underground. I don't know. But here's the thing. We're reaching the point where they're going to be on the hook. We are going to be on yeah. the hook for billions right. of dollars. Spend the money. Where, yeah, if you had spent $5 billion. I'd rather, I'd rather my tax money go towards putting in underground power lines than it is to be paying off uh, people who have lost their lives in homes in the next big one. 
Spend the money now up front. Hey, we'll get back and we'll do what's trending when we come back. An update from Chris and Carlo coming up next hour and Swamp Watch. We got to dump back into, yeah, well, I'll say it again. We got to dump back into Swamp Watch because there's a bunch going on. Still hangover from last week's election, which seems like it was a month ago. Next on Gary and Shannon. Come on, love will be just fine. We're going to live just like it's 99 tonight. Gary and Shannon, the news has gotten much better over the last couple of year, uh, couple of years, a couple hours since our show began, and they were working on that flare-up there in the Lake Sherwood, Carlisle Canyon, Boney Mountain areas. You uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago. We'll get into this in Swamp Watch. The potential for there to be a Melania Trump John Kelly feud going on. Mm. There's another name in there as well. The first ladies of office has called for. The ouster of the Deputy National Security Advisor, Myra Ricardell. Why? The communications director for the First Lady, Stephanie Grisham, said, It is the position of the office of the First Lady that Ricardell no longer deserves the honor of serving in the White House. Mmm, catfight. I didn't know you could do that from the First Lady's office. Uh, Apparently, they are inserting their will. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, we will stay on top on top of the Woolsey fire here. Ninety six thousand acres it has burned through, but officials, as you heard Andrew Mullenbeck report, seem to be getting the upper hand on this beast. Yeah, there was a flare up that we've been watching in Thousand Oaks. The uh, air show over this thing has been pretty incredible with the C one thirty and the DC ten and all of these different helicopters that have been dropping water and Fosjek to try to keep this thing in place. Uh, they are saying that it was uh, somewhere between 50 and 100 acres, this flare-up, but it's all within the perimeter of where they were expecting this fire to go anyway. And in terms of uh, there have been no new mandatory evacuations for any of the areas, but Chris is going to have more on that in a few minutes. Stanley the giraffe is okay. I thought he died. Stan- oh, I'm sorry. St- okay. I, I confused those two stories. Stanley the giraffe is fine. Stanley, not Stan Lee. Say it again. Stanley the giraffe. Stanley the giraffe. One word. Is alive. He lit up the internet over the past few days because because everyone was saying that Malibu wine safaris did not get him out of there. He's fine. All right. You know, I can't tell you how many texts I got. From my friends asking me if Stanley the giraffe Are is you okay. Kidding? No, me? I'm not joking. And I'm like, I'm fine, guys. I'm okay. But the yeah, but, they're but concerned the giraffe, about the giraffe. Yeah, they're concerned about the giraffe. There um, was an emu, some pigs, and a sheep missing. But they're still searching for those. The winery lost about a dozen structures, including some residences. By the way, um, I saw a fire official interviewed. I think it was L.A. City fire official who was interviewed about the conditions at Malibu Wine Safaris. He said, listen, not only were the animals not in danger because they're out in the pasture where there's absolutely nothing for to, to burn. He said, we would have used this as a staging area if we had to because it's that safe. To be out here without the risk of fire. But people were suggesting that 
Malibu Wine Safaris had an insurance policy on their giraffe, so they didn't have a problem leaving it out there. Maybe they would collect a check once Stanley bit the big one. Oh, that's terrible. Hey, I want to let you know Ventura County Sheriff's Office and the FBI have put out a notice as part of their investigation into last Wednesday shooting at the Borderline Bar and Grill. Uh, They are requesting that anyone who was there during the shooting and hasn't been talking with law enforcement to please contact the sheriff. They want to talk to every single person who was out there. And then they want to say that anyone who lost items at Borderline that night can go to the Ventura County DA's uh, Thousand Oaks Assistance Center to pick that up. Uh, Okay, now the one I was confused about, Stan Lee has passed away at the age of 95. You mentioned this yesterday when it came down during the show. The the man responsible for iconic characters like Spider Man and Iron Man and Thor and X Men and Black Panther and Do you think Fantastic he filmed Four. a cameo for the next movie? Yes. Oh, he did. We already know he's oh, in great. it. Mr. Mo Kelly on Instagram. He got uh, Captain Marvel and Avengers for his cameos. Oh, he's always got cool. both of them. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good for him. Um, the amazing number of people who we've run into have had who have had their own access to Stan Lee. It's pretty incredible that this guy was it was not afraid of uh, sitting down for interviews with people. Well, this is, in my opinion, the most anticipated game so far in this NFL season. It's next Monday night's matchup between the Chiefs and the Rams, the two hottest teams in the NFL. They're supposed to meet in Mexico City, Mexico City being one of the places that the NFL will travel along with London and I believe Hawaii next year. But, yes, they're supposed to square off Monday night in Mexico City at Azteca Stadium. But the condition of the field is horrendous. Yeah. I I saw the shot from last night. It didn't look that bad. I mean, they were doing the process of, you know, re-striping everything to make it ready for the football game. I didn't see the condition of the turf. But there's pictures here from a concert or after a concert from nine days ago. They had a concert, and then uh, the Mexican soccer team, Cruz Azul, played there on Saturday, and it looks torn up. And the league is very concerned. They think that they might move it to Los Angeles. Which wouldn't be horrible. I mean, it would no. be it, it's, a, it's supposed to be a Rams sucks. home game anyway, it right? It sucks for Mexico City, you know, the, all, all the fans down there that have been anticipating going to this game. They have a weird hybrid field there. They said that it's regular grass and synthetic filler mm. that that's maybe causing some of the problems, but um by the way, the the Chiefs Rams game opened with the highest over under in NFL history. I bet They've been scoring like 50 points a game, the two of them. That's crazy. Uh, Do you hear about the naked guy in Florida who was caught on video sneaking into a restaurant and eating ramen? Come on, we've all (laughs) done this in our own homes. Let me go back to the beginning. You said the naked guy? Wasn't he naked? Aren't they always? A video shows a man riding riding his bike up to the restaurant, uh, pedaling around the parking lot for 10 minutes, then slipping in through the back gate. He wanders around for a bit. Opens the door to a shed for storing odds and ends and then removes them one by one. He gains access to a restaurant bathroom and then exits without his clothes. He proceeds to sit naked at one of the restaurant's picnic tables and digs into a meal he brought with him, which was instant lunch ramen. One of the servers there said he came in with pants, but he rode off without pants I'm not sure if he took his pants with him, but we didn't find them. We still don't know where his (laughs) pants are. Video also shows the man playing the bongos. 
That makes sense. Florida. He spray painted a few chairs, the bongos, and a pickle jar. It was quite active. This is from your people, Monica. Yeah. Florida. Your people. Yeah. Your people. All right. Uh, how about your chance at $1,000? Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the nationwide keyword BILLS to 200, 200 You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's BILLS to 200, 200 If you win, they'll call you before the top of the hour. you got to make sure you answer that phone call. And if you don't win, you got another chance between 105 and 120 In fact, a chance to win $1,000 once an hour, Monday through Friday, from 5 in the morning with Jonesy and Wake Up Call all the way through the first hour of the Conway Show right here on KFI. And Carlo joins us for an update on the Woolsey Fire when we come back. The songs on the radio are okay. But my taste in music is your face. And it takes a song to come around to show you how. She's the terror in my heart. I'm alive. She's the terror in my heart. I'm on fire. She's the terror in my heart. Take me higher than I've ever been. Than I've ever been. Gary and Shannon. There are some amazing stories that we are going to hear in the days and weeks ahead, even as tragic as these fires have been here and in Northern California. But amazing stories of reunification. For example, uh, my sister lives in Chico and had been posting a bunch of stuff, including uh, notices from people who were running into older residents. We talked about how the town of Paradise is... A lot of it is older, 50-plus uh, retirees in some cases, and in some cases much older than that. A woman in Chico posted a picture of a man she met in the Food Max parking lot. Her name was Maria, and she says, I met this gentleman today at Food Max. His name is Herb Wilson. He's looking for his family in paradise. He didn't get the chance to get his phone book when he left, so he doesn't know how to call anybody. He did mention he has a granddaughter that works in Red Bluff at the hospital, but he doesn't know where she lives. Herb is 90 years old. He's been staying in his truck for the last four days. She shared that uh, yesterday morning at about 1040. Later on in the afternoon, they found Herb's wife, and he has been reunited with his family. 90-year-old guy living in the cab of his truck for four days in a parking lot. We're going to hear so many of those stories of just uh, people springing into action as well. A lot of stories about nurses evacuating patients and uh, pop-up triage centers. Uh, Chris Ancarlo is standing by. He was covering that flare-up earlier. Chris, what's the latest? Well, the good news is they've been able to nail down much of this flare-up. Uh, it was just an all-out air assault here. It was like the opening scene of Apocalypse Now, when they're all flying in formation down the uh, river, blaring the uh, Wagner, except there was no Wagner playing. It was just the uh, sheer, sheer assault of it all. And uh, really impressive to watch. I'm actually watching right now a uh, the Chinook drop a bunch of water. I had somebody on Twitter say it looked like an upside-down whale, and I, I would have to agree with that. It looks like a, a whale is just spewing instead of up out of the ocean down uh, toward the fire. And there's a spot fair. There's a big rocky prominence that uh, overlooks Lake Sherwood, and that's what they've been going after. Uh, they continue to also paint the ridge with the uh, with the pink fire retardant and it's doing its job you see the fire move down the ridge hit that uh, line of retardant and then it slows down slows down enough to give the uh, helicopters a chance to drop the water and some people may say well why are there no engines up there why are there no firefighters um 
if you guys want to try and drive up it or hike up it, pretty rugged territory. And uh, they don't like to put these guys in situations where there's no easy way out because, of course, the winds could shift at any moment. You probably hear a little bit of the wind in the background here. And, uh, and so that's the challenge right now with this firefight is, you know, the Santa Monica Mountains, as I've uh, said a few times to you guys, just very rugged territory, especially back what, what, what I'm looking at right now. And uh, it's tough to get back there with the equipment these guys need. Not to mention, there are not a lot of structures back there. I mean, we're talking about some very rugged, wild country where there are no people necessarily at risk. So they're going to make sure that they're not just doing this for an exercise. I mean, it's clear that they have other places that they can make sure that they protect life and property. And this isn't one of them. Yeah, you're exactly right. And uh, this is one of those situations where... What they're trying to do is direct the fire away from any place that um, you know has homes or anybody that could be put at risk. And so, think of it kind of like a, a sheepdog herding a bunch of sheep. You know, they just uh, the firefighters are the sheepdog, and they're just trying to herd this fire right on down to a place where it's not going to do any damage to property or life. And that's the uh, that fits with the overall operational priority of what these guys are trying to achieve out here um the flare-up that we saw today i think it's worth mentioning i talked with a couple of different firefighters here on the scene and they said expect more of these because really it it just comes down to the fire an ember finding a pocket of fuel and what we saw today i mean it looked impressive you could see that thing from miles and miles away it looked like a big mushroom cloud but um beneath of it you just basically had a ton of fuel burning uphill superheated as it's burning uphill and a lack of wind and so the lack of wind allows the column of smoke to really move on up and to billow above wherever the the fire's burning which gives it that more ominous presence and then the wind started to pick up a little bit and it blew it all out to sea and so now it's strangely overcast it's really kind of odd i don't think it's smoke i think it's actual like moisture clouds which of course a foreign concept to us here in Southern California. Um, and so it, it's just a very odd sky right now. And some uh, some darker plumes, again, just kind of hanging out on this ridge just above Lake Sherwood. I think the uh, the neighborhoods down here, though, they're doing a good job to make sure this fire doesn't lick back over the ridgetop. And the concern is, of course, the winds. The winds are going to drive the fire they don't fuel the fire but they'll drive that fire toward more fuel and there is a ton of fuel here if the wind should decide to shift directions i love it chris your pictures you paint with your wagner apocalypse now upside down upside down whale well hey i can't take credit for the upside down whale that was totally a listener who hit me up on twitter i was like man that's really good i wish i had said that on my A listener who understands your love for metaphors You know, that's that's the way we speak to each other. I think Chris's language is love in itself a metaphor. Chris's love language is love. Mm. Is language. Mm-hmm. I'm from Philly. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. Thanks. Excellent job again. Always. Yeah. Anytime, guys. Coming up next, we are do- going to get into some Swamp Watch news. All the craziness in Florida over a recount. Is the president's chief of staff? Going to be leaving because of a dust up with Melania? Holy hell. Let's dive back in, shall we? Uh, it's been a nice reprieve. Why are you holding your stomach? Because I'm laughing very hard. Okay. This is a good job. Gary and Shannon. Friends from the fields of
We've uh, been keeping an eye on the Wolsey fire. This flare-up in the Lake Sherwood area has been problematic. It's been burning for about three hours. First report about 9.15 this morning when all of these helicopters and fixed-wing aircraft were called in to drop water and fire retardant, try to protect this uh, some areas, some neighborhoods. But for the most part, it's burning very remote areas. There aren't a whole lot of structures that have been threatened by it. It's still causing some problems, though. Also, the campfire burning up in Northern California now confirmed 42 fatalities, over 6,500 homes destroyed, 125,000 acres and still only 30% containment. Still a lot of work to do on that fire. Well, despite the cries of voter fraud in Florida amid a recount, it looks like uh, no fraud has been found. Mark Remillard joins us now for the very latest. Mark, what can you tell us? Hang on one second. I didn't have the right thumb. Mark, I'm sorry. I didn't push hey, the button. Go ahead. No problem. Hey, uh, yeah, the recount is underway in Florida. Uh, this will take a couple days. Uh, the unofficial, the second unofficial results are due from uh, each county by 3 p.m. on November 15th. So that is, uh, what, Thursday. Uh, the process ongoing, uh, Broward County uh, and Palm Beach County, which have been kind of the epicenter of, of most of the controversy surrounding this, uh, Broward says it's off to its start and uh, should meet the deadline. Palm Beach County, uh, there's a a question about whether they'll meet the deadline because they say that their machines uh, are old and so they can only recount one race at a time. So they have to put uh, hundreds of thousands of ballots through the machines to count the Senate race because that's first, then second, the governor's, then the agricultural commissioner, and then a couple other smaller uh, state races that are underway. So uh, it could be a long process, but uh, there's been certainly a lot of controversy around this whole process uh, from day one. Are they counting the votes on an Atari 2600? <laughs> uh, it almost sounds like it at this point, doesn't it? But uh, no, they. I mean, obviously, these are uh, they're electronic machines that they're running the ballots through. They're running the first page. Of, but but you know, there's a lot that has to be done here. For example, in Broward County alone, uh, they're estimating 714,000 page ones, which is the top page of the ballot, which is where these votes are. And then they, as they're running them through the machines, uh, if they have ballots that are uh, what are called over or under vote ballots, you know, over votes might be somebody filled in two bubbles in one section, which you're not supposed to do, uh, or someone didn't vote, or it's not clear what their vote is, all of those have to get pulled out of the stack. Then they have to take those to the canvassing board for them to essentially hand count those ballots. And just in Broward County alone, 714,000 ballots, they estimate 55,000 of those may be over or under votes, which means the canvassing board then has to manually look at all those. So this is why it takes so long for this process to play out. Mark, we've been waist deep in fire coverage the past uh, week or so. What was the sure. impetus of the of these recounts? Yeah, uh, two things. So uh, in the governor's race and the Senate race particularly, but there's also the state agricultural commissioner and a couple other uh, down-ballot races. But uh, the two key ones there, the governor and the U.S. Senate, are just so close. Uh, let's see. I have the numbers right here. The state, uh, the U.S. Senate race separated at this point by 12,000 votes out of 8 million cast. Uh, so you're talking a, an extremely small margin there. And in the, in the governor's race, 33,000 votes out of 8 million cast. And in the state of Florida, if, if the margin is under half a percent, the Secretary of State is required to order a, a machine recount. If the results come back and they're then below a quarter of a percent, then they have to do an entire manual recount. So that could take even longer uh, to go through if they have to count millions of these ballots by hand. And that's a possibility. Certainly, it seems in the U.S. Senate race where the margins just continue to tighten. Well, in the in the Senate race, Bill Nelson has already called for Rick Scott, the current governor, to step down or, or to, to at least 
step away from the recount process so that he wouldn't have oversight on it. But in Broward County specifically, Brenda Snipes is one of the characters that's been involved with this. She's the head of that. But that in Broward County is has become the garbage can of electoral rules, it seems like, for the last 15 years. Yeah, this uh, them and uh, Palm Beach kind of go back even to that uh, ground zero of the you know the 2000 presidential election and the and the whole hanging Chad ordeal. Um, but uh, you know the Democrats, uh, which you mentioned there, Bill Nelson, uh, their focus or what they've been saying throughout this whole process is that they want every ballot ballot counted, and they think that these lawsuits, uh, particularly the ones brought on by Rick Scott, who oversees, he's still the current governor, he oversees these state divisions that are in charge of you know this process, the Secretary of State, uh, who he appointed, uh, these are all the issues that the Democrats are taking this, and this is why they're saying they would like him to step out of this or step away from it. Uh, and he has filed lawsuits against Paul Broward and Palm Beach County. Uh, both of those have failed, uh, He, including the one in Palm Beach County today. Uh, basically, he was calling for the tabulation machines to be impounded by law enforcement. Well, the judge in that case said, first off, she didn't think she had the authority to do that, but then on top of that questioned uh, or and kind of warned his attorneys against this whole idea of fraud taking place when there's been no evidence of that uh, at this point. And even the Secretary of State in Florida has said that, and obviously many of the local uh, officials, election officials in, on the county level have said that they have no uh, evidence of any kind of fraud taking place. Isn't he leading right now, Rick Scott? He is, but that's where the narrow margin is of just 12,000 votes. Uh, I don't have the percentage off my head, but it's been shrinking. Uh, from Tuesday, it was, uh, you know, half a percent difference. Then it was down to a quarter percent, I believe, 12,000 out of, out of 8 million votes. Uh, you know, you can do the math, but it's a very, very, very small margin. All right. Mark, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Mark Remillard there, the latest of what's going on in these recounts. There's also one in Georgia. I mean, Stacey Abrams trails Brian Kemp. Uh, the percentages that I saw this morning... 48.79% to 50.26%. And if they fall within a certain number, they get an automatic recount. And if Brian Kemp doesn't keep that 50%, they have to go to a runoff in a couple of weeks. Wow. So that's why Stacey Abrams has been very, uh, whatever sort of concession she may have offered early on, she has totally taken that back. Monica's people are so crazy. Aren't they? They're naked, eating ramen. They can't decide on candidates. I yeah, can't tell yeah. You better watch out. For. Did you hear about yeah. that one woman who uh, broke into that Red Lobster and plucked a lobster out of the tank <gasps> and took off with she it? Can, is she Canadian though? She was drunk. Oh, so she. Was, it wasn't me. She was like. Canadian. No, I've got her mugshot here, and it was not you. <laughs> All right, we'll come back. More Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon will continue. Bigger than Denver, <laughs> if that gives you any idea of how monstrous this fire has begun. It looks like 435 structures have been counted as destroyed, but authorities feel like that is going to go significantly higher. They are assessing the damage from this massive fire. Personnel checking many canyon areas by foot, which will take several days uh, a lot of people being let back in to areas they were evacuated from, but power remains off for more than 9,000 people. This flare-up has been the focus today. Planes and helicopters 
working, uh, very well-coordinated attack uh, on this uh, mountain wilderness area on the Ventura County side of, of the fire there. Uh, the fire in Northern California campfires burning 125,000 acres, only 30% containment. And the big story, of course, is that 42 confirmed fatalities, 42, and the number will go up. 6,500 structures uh, believed to be homes destroyed in the towns of uh, Paradise, in Concow Valley, in Megalia, in uh, all of those different places up there. So uh, we've been in the middle of Swamp Watch. We told you about those recounts that are going on in Florida and Georgia. In Arizona yesterday, the Democrat, Kirsten Cinema won the open U.S. Senate seat now that Jeff Flake has said that he was going to retire. This was an interesting one because Congresswoman Martha McSally was the one in in the lead, at least, after election night. Uh, And then as the vote count dragged on for a week after everybody went to the polls, finally uh, McSally decided that she would concede that race after some new ballot numbers came in and showed Kirsten Sinema actually pulling ahead. She's an interesting politician because... She spent time as a spokesperson for the Green Party and was elected to the legislature in Arizona as a Green Party member and then decided to go to the Democratic Party. She spent some time with the Democratic Party and then wanted to run on a statewide level and realized to do that in Arizona, she's going to have to move to the center quite a bit. Then she moved uh, and, and has been in Congress for a while. The interesting thing about her is that she is considered to be one of the most centrist Democratic candidates. She voted for bills backed by President Trump more than 60 percent of the time. All right, I've got some sexy news. Get it. Uh, Wall Street Journal reporting Deputy National Security Advisor Mira Rear-Cardell has been fired, escorted from the White House because Ooh. of a dust-up with the First Lady's office. Apparently, when the First Lady had that trip to Africa, Mira Ricardell, who is uh, John Bolton's right-hand woman, uh, she got into it with the First Lady's staff over seating on the plane— and request to use National Security Council resources. The First Lady's team also told the president they suspect that Mira Ricardell is behind some of the negative stories about Melania and her staff. They issued a statement calling for Mira Ricardell to be dismissed, quoting here, it is the position of the office of the First Lady that she no longer deserves the honor of serving in this White House. She also reportedly clashed with Jim Mattis, and his Pentagon team over staffing decisions, policy differences. Apparently, she has just been a nightmare. She's only really been an ally, they say, for John Bolton. That's weird because uh, CNN says that her fight with all of this, she, she had a big fight going into the administration when it was just forming with Jim Mattis. And the, the Secretary of Defense at the time um, before she became deputy national security advisor, she tried to block Jim Mattis from hiring certain people who may have been critical of Trump and they were viewed potentially as insufficiently loyal. So they're saying that that was going to be hard for her to get any sort of a job in the Trump administration. Obviously, she did join the National Security Council when um, Michael Bolton was named national security advisor. He pulled her over from, I guess, the Commerce Department. Kirsten Nielsen is reportedly going to be out to Homeland Security Secretary. She is a close ally of John Kelly. John Kelly, who may be out because he's gotten into it with the First Lady's office. 
it's just crazy. It's as the world turns in there. Just didn't think that that was that the most surprising part of all of that is that it came from the first lady's office. That the original statement came out that said that Mira Ricardel should not work here anymore. P.S. And that somebody would uh, get into it with Jim Mattis. Dumbass. Whose idea was that? Never a good idea. Uh, all right, we'll continue. Alex Stone has also been on the fire lines. We're going to talk to Alex in just a few minutes about the latest. What's been going on for the fight uh, up and down the state of California when it comes to fire? Also, we're going to give away a thousand bucks in a few minutes. Stick around; we'll tell you how you can win. Gary and Shannon. Staying on top of the Woolsey fire and all of the developing news out of Northern California as well. Unfortunately, it's it's all bad news coming out of Northern California. Most deadly fire in the state's history. 42 people killed. There's still a number of people missing. I saw a tent city popping up there at the uh, Walmart in Chico, and it is large. One of the uh, One of the photographers working for the newspaper in Chico hit record on his phone and just drove through town, drove through paradise and kept track, you know, in each individual street he wrote down so that he could basically people could follow along with him on a map oh, to see where boy. he was going. And you would see entire blocks where you've got two dozen homes gone and then one still standing looking as if there was no damage at all. And the I showed you earlier the map where there were Thousands that have gone through and begun the process of mapping which homes and buildings were destroyed. Thousands and thousands of little red homes. Imagine like uh, Monopoly pieces, the little red homes that were destroyed. And then every once in a while, there'd be one little black home that was undamaged at all. But then you're, I mean, you're only talking about 10% of the town, perhaps, and all spaced out. That and those people can't go back home. Well, it's not unhealthy. Do. There's no service There's there. No There's service. It's, it's Yeah, it's a mess. Uh, Alex Stone has been following these uh, both of these fires here in uh, Southern California, Northern California as well. Alex, what's going on? Hey, guys, I just took a drive from uh, high, along Highway 23 from Westlake Village uh, to near Point Magoo coming out on the, uh, the PCH side. And what you were just describing is uh, very similar along that, uh, that stretch, that there are so many homes up in the canyon where – at least now, there is zero cell phone service and, and really zero life in the area. Everybody's evacuated, and there are no animals. There's no birds. There's no vegetation. But you look down from a top and, and down into the canyon, and just home after home after home gone where you can only see the foundations. And then there will be one home, uh, oftentimes a very big home, that is untouched and looks like, except for that they live in a, a moonscape. And moonscape is cliche, but it really does look like that. Everything is gray and black. Uh, that, that it's completely untouched, and either they had defensible space, or it's just how the the flames went as they went racing through that area on probably Friday night ish. Uh, and the, the home the homeowner will come back and then find that their home is standing with absolutely nothing around it, and that uh, we see it so often in these fires. But uh, very much that way, going along Highway 23. I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around. They've said this before, and I know that it's been closed for a while, but but PCH is closed basically from Point Magoo to Pacific Palisades. 
Yeah, I'm actually uh, parked on the side of PCH right now in uh, the Point Magoo area. And uh, they, the PCH, they've got to do a little bit of work. They've got some guardrails to do. They've got some power lines down, some signs melted. Uh, but not a ton of work they're going to have to do along this stretch. It's when you get off onto the Mulholland Highway to the Highway 23 that everything is, the guardrails are gone. It's just a drop on the side. Uh, there are quite a few places where you have to go into head-on traffic because there are boulders in the road and there are wires down and, and poles down. And they're beginning to work on some of that, but that's going to take a lot more work. Whereas the bigger stretches like PCH, yeah, here and there they've got to do some stuff. But, but generally, yeah, it's in pretty good shape. But it's really the highway for emergency workers right now, so it's a lot of police and firefighters moving back and forth more than anything. That's the biggest part of PCH. But once you get off of PCH and go into any of the canyons, those canyons are a mess. It's yeah, the, the roads are hard to drive on. It's covered in there's boulders falling down, and, and you're constantly going around them and, and going over them when you can. That They've got to do a lot of cleanup in those areas. Yeah, that's going to take some time. Uh, have you heard or heard anything from SoCal Edison about power being restored and a timetable or anything? No, and it's going to depend on the areas that you're in. They're working, and we saw them pulling down a lot of the, the tangled power lines. And that's always the thing in these fires, that it almost looks like somebody took a, a ball of yarn and wound it up. That the power lines, because poles have gone down, and one goes down, and the other one doesn't, but when the one goes down, it ties up all the power lines. So they have to de-string all of those first, and then worry about getting the, the lines back up. It's going to be quite a while in many areas. Malibu, parts of Malibu have power. Uh, then there are other areas as you go beyond north of Pepperdine where the, the power goes out and there's uh, not a lot of power all the way up PCH. They're going to have to work on all that. On the other side uh, of the mountain in Thousand Oaks and in uh, Westlake uh, Village, there's quite a bit of uh, areas that, that have power and, and look pretty good. Uh, I, I saw today, right before I went up Highway 23, that uh, Salt Lake City fire. I saw fire departments from Montana. They are staged, and they are protecting the homes along there after that flare-up today uh, in the Thousand Oaks area. And they're really arriving now. They're, they're here from everywhere across the country, and we're seeing a lot of fire engines. Reminds me of what we saw in Santa Rosa. Fire engines were using, where the heck is that? And you look at the license plate, and, you know, it's from some small town in Montana or from Michigan, and they're now here, and, and they're fighting the fire. Speaking of that fire in Santa Rosa and bringing into it the campfire in Northern California, there is a chance that uh, utilities are responsible for these fires. And we saw uh, in the news conference a couple of hours ago, L.A. County Fire Chief Darrell Osby was asked about it. Edison, for the most part, and PG&E for the Northern California part of it, have been pretty quiet. I know they're busy in terms of having crews out there restoring power in areas, but they... Both of those utilities are going to have a lot of questions to answer about the origin of these fires. Yeah, and the reason why they're not saying anything, most likely, is there's a lot of liability there. They're working already because of all these other fires that have been linked back by CAL FIRE and arson investigators to electrical equipment. And they're dealing with a lot of money in lawsuits that they now have to, to go forward with. And Jerry Brown signed a bill into law a couple of months ago that allows them to buy bonds to, to pay for those settlements and lawsuits and then for the interest to charge the ratepayer. So you and I will be paying for what they have to pay out in these uh, lawsuits. But every one of these fires that is linked back to them turns into thousands, if not even more, lawsuits from homeowners and, and from others who have been impacted. 
uh, and there's a lot of liability there. In this case, we don't know what the cause is going to end up being. All we know is that the, the California Public Utility Commission uh, is now investigating whether it was uh, electrical equipment owned by the electricity companies that malfunctioned. PG&E filed an incident report about an outage on a transmission line right around the time the campfire broke out in that same area. SoCal Edison filed a, a report about a line going down uh, around the, the point of origin around the time on Thursday when these fires sparked up. They say they had nothing to do with it. It was just a line going down. But the, the PUC is investigating right now what made that line go down and are they responsible. Uh, PG&E isn't saying anything. SoCal Edison is only saying it wasn't responsible. But this could be another case. Cal Fire last year said that there were 12 fires last year linked back to the electrical companies that, that resulted in 18 people dying. Alex, thanks so much. Great information as always. Appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, guys. All right, more coverage coming up next. Also, later this hour, we are getting ready for Thanksgiving. It is going to be here in about 10 minutes. So we're going to have Neil come in for Tasty Tuesday. (laughs) Also, we have $1,000 to give away. Here's how you can win it. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the nationwide keyword CASH to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's CASH to 200-200. If you win, they'll give you a call, but you got to answer that phone to win the $1,000. Bucks. Next chance, next hour, sometime between, say, 205 and 220 in the John and Ken show. Chance to win 1000 bucks an hour Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. through 620 right here on KFI. A working class to the bone, and I know you're tired of hearing it. It's the weekend. It's the weekend. Well, this right here is the deal, proletariat. It's the weekend. Come on, the weekend. During Swamp Watch, we told you that the Wall Street Journal was reporting that Mira Ricardel, John Bolton's number two, was fired and escorted from the White House. So White House official telling reporters now that that's not accurate, that the Wall Street Journal is wrong. Uh, All morning long, there have been rumors that she was not getting along with the First Lady's office, that uh, they put out a statement saying that she no longer deserves the honor of serving in this White House. But according to White House officials, the Wall Street Journal report that she's been escorted out are not true, that she's still working at the White House. Hmm. Again, I, I'm, I've never heard of a first lady's office getting involved with who should work in the administration and who shouldn't. That was an unusual thing to, to suggest that. But I guess the uh, communications director, Stephanie Grisham from Melania, said it is the position of the office of the first lady that Ricardel no longer deserves the honor of serving in the White House. Very, very strange. Um, the other story nationally in the D.C. area specifically, ABC News has been reporting that to the president has been talking with his lawyer, the lawyers this week to come up with the answers to a list of written questions from Robert Mueller. Uh, They were to meet yesterday to discuss this list of questions and were expected to reconvene today as well. We know that Mueller and his team have been working on what would be a final report um, to turn in to the Justice Department about uh, about the investigation into potential of Russian meddling in the election in 2016. We've also spent a lot of time in the last couple of days talking about the potential that utilities are responsible for the fires that are burning here in Southern California and also in Northern California. And it seems that the the farther we get away from the origin t- 
time of the fire on Thursday, whether it's Thursday morning for the fire up in Paradise or Thursday afternoon for the Woolsey fire here in L.A. and Ventura counties, the farther we get away, the more deafening the silence is from the utility companies. And what we're seeing is um, reaction from customers who have been told about things going on, but very little about what Edison or PG&E is doing to try to fix this and make sure that we don't have continued fires every time the wind blows. There were spark problems up in Northern California right where that fire began. Uh, PG&E had sent an email to the woman who owns the property where the the problematic uh, uh, power lines are located saying we got to come out to your property. We'll be on your property. We've got some spark issues and we got to check it out. Well, the very next day, uh, we don't know if they actually made it out that day. Unclear, but the very next day that fire began. Um, also, a similar set of circumstances down here with the Woolsey fire. Yeah, on the Woolsey fire specifically, they reported, um, SoCal Edison reported to the California Public Utilities Commission that there was an outage on an electric circuit right by the area where the Woolsey fire began Thursday afternoon. In fact, it was just two minutes after they report, after SoCal Edison says that outage was reported, two minutes later, the first reports of flame start coming in to different fire agencies and to 911. So while the Woolsey fire has uh, is considered responsible for two deaths and burned through 96-plus thousand acres, Edison says it has no indication that it was that its equipment was involved in the fire. Well, come on. PG&E can say the same thing, but they were clearly out to this woman's property, the 64 acres that she owns near Polga, of all places. So... Either these utilities are derelict in their duty to keep their equipment updated and functioning and not deadly, or between the the, the warmer temperatures, the climate change that we have, because there's too many damn humans, uh, and the, the, the terrible winds that we know are coming every year are just not compatible with the way that these functioning power lines are working that's going to be the question. Was there something wrong with these things? I mean, obviously, there was something wrong with the power lines up in uh, the Paradise area, and the utility knew about it and what seemed to be on top of it. Um, but, but you know, we were talking earlier about underground power lines and uh, how how those would be a great option if they didn't cost so much, cost twice as much, three times, four times as much when you're putting those things in, in cities. But we've got to make a change. Well, if, for example, we talked last month about how PG&E and SoCal Edison and San Diego Gas and Electric were going to adopt policies of de-energizing these lines under high wind conditions. And apparently there was an email that went out to several people that they may actually do that. That PG&E, for example, um, had told customers in nine counties last week that they might shut off power because of the extreme fire danger. And one of those counties happened to be Butte County where this fire started. They decided to call off the shutdown, telling customers at about, uh, I guess it would have been 9 o'clock on Wednesday night, that the weather conditions didn't warrant the safety measure. So they decided to keep the energy in the lines nine hours later is when that fire started. Would we be willing to, we being people who live in these uh, in the districts that these utilities operate, would you be willing to go without power for a day or two or three at a time I'd be willing, under high wind conditions? I'd be willing to do that while they put in new power lines that would not be susceptible to this kind of uh, failure and destruction. 
Like if it was for a couple years while they went ahead and updated it, like I said earlier, I'd rather pay for that as a taxpayer because we're already paying for whatever they're going to be held liable for with the 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 deaths of people, the towns wiped out. They're already passing that on to ratepayers. So instead of the next big fire that wipes out a town, I'd rather be paying for updated infrastructure. And and while that's being done, while that's being put into to motion, sure turn off power for a day or or, or so. I mean, I know it's easy for me to say that because I don't not relying on medical equipment and all of that. But yeah, but they got to do something. Yeah. All right, step away a bit from uh, from fire coverage and start talking about those of you who uh, do have you know plans for next week because it is Thanksgiving already. Thanksgiving already. We were having discussions yesterday about when the family comes into town and how we're going to negotiate this week. Did you say negotiate? Well, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you sometimes have it's to. a negotiation. Monica. Sometimes right. it's a Somali pirate ship. Wow. Okay. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Neil Savage is going to join us. We're going to talk Fork Report when we come back. Gary and Shannon. Big stories obviously continue to be the fires. The Woolsey Fire, 96,300-plus acres, about 35% containment. Uh, we've seen things slow down considerably over the last couple of days, even though the winds are still there. There was a flare-up today in the Lake Sherwood area, but they were quick to put just a dozen aircraft on that thing to try to get it out before it expanded too much. The campfire up in Northern California now, 42 fatalities is the number 125,000 acres, 30% containment, still very active fire lines in there. We're learning names now uh, connected with that death toll. Ernie Foss Jr. is one of those names, uh, three named victims so far. Ernie Foss Jr., a musician, he lived in San Francisco before he moved to Paradise. He was said to share his love with mu- of music with others. His uh, His daughter talked to KTVU and says that he moved to Paradise eight years ago because of the high cost of living of the Bay Area. I don't know if you remember. I have a couple of paintings up on, on a wall next to a TV that I have. They're just barns. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just homes. Um, the woman who painted those for us also painted a great gift for us for our wedding. She lost her studio. She lost her home and everything oh, wow. in Paradise. Um, she's in the Bay Area with her family right now, but still, I mean, it, there are so many people, 26 27,000 people who had to evacuate and 6,500 homes that were lost in that fire. Well, it is Tuesday, and we've got to get ready for Thanksgiving. It is going to be here very soon, so we needed to bring Neil in for Tasty Tuesdays. It feels like it's creeping up even. Well, it is sooner than normal. But but first, before you speak. Oh. um, Awkward transition. Hey, Nick. Yeah? This is one for you specifically. (laughs) Oh, Okay. Why did they let the turkey join the band? I don't know why. Because he had the drumsticks. No, I like it. The delivery seemed mean. Yeah. Like you were yelling at him. Well, because he should know. He's in a band. 
but Nick's in a band but it's a named he has to play along. Fierce Brosnan, and he should know a, a, a joke about a band and the punchline. The jokes shouldn't oh. be mean spirit. You shouldn't. You like, want me to do a different one? I don't know. You like you yelled at him in all, all caps. Yeah, you're right. I did. I apologize. I like the turkey part of the joke, but he didn't like the yelling part. I'm sorry for yelling. <laughs> Uh, it is creeping up on us. It's uh, a week from Thursday, so we got nine days to get. The one thing I see in all of the here's how to get your Thanksgiving dinner in order. It's you should have ordered your turkey yesterday. Yes, if you're going to go with a fresh turkey, call the butcher. Uh, you know the folks at the butchery have been uh, good partners with us. Uh, they've got multiple locations in Orange County. Give them a give them a jingle if you're going to get a fresh turkey. Uh, but. You can actually buy your frozen bird now. And you, you, could, should. you should. You should. You could technically buy next year's frozen bird now. As long as you keep it frozen. frozen. Yeah. No, then you run out of fe- uh, freezer space. Yeah, they're big. They're big. They're big beasts. Mm-hmm. They take up a lot of space. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> With my family growing up, you know, we had such a large family that that thing pretty much took up the entire space. It's 24 it was, pound. Yeah, it got exactly. its own room. Yeah. It, like, you'd open the fridge and it'd go, turn out the light. And you'd go, okay. <laughs> sorry. Sure. I'm bathing here. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> done and done, champ. Uh, but uh, turkey, straight. you can, when things go on sale after the holidays, you could buy a frozen turkey, keep it frozen, and it'd be fine for next year. But the key is, I mean, well, let's talk this year because uh, <laughs> we can't plan that far ahead. You should. We, you should have a fro- – if you're buying Frozen, mm-hmm. you got to get on it sooner rather than later. Do not wait until no. Tuesday. Here's the rule. You should you should get all your dry goods and non-perishables now. Just get them casually as you're going grocery shopping. Get them now. As far as the perishables, uh, you're going to want to creep into as much of next week as you can without stepping on – Wednesday, which is going to be hell day. Right. So try and get in there on Tuesday sometimes. Try and find off hours, not like lunchtime and after work. Anytime between, say, 5 and <laughs> 7 or 5 and 8 in the afternoon on Tuesday is yeah, going to be yeah. busy. You want to you wanna find some off time to get that other stuff. Um, and keep in mind that de- depending on the size of your turkey, you've got thaw time, which can be five days. I mean, it can go directly into the fridge depending on when you start. You say we're nine days out. Uh, you're looking at, uh, for a 20-pound bird or so, you're looking at five days. Uh, another suggestion, just for those perishables. The in the fridge. If you have a farmer's market near you this weekend, this would be a great weekend to think about. It's, instead of Monday going, I should have gone to the farmer's market and gotten that great perishable. Oh, yeah. The good stuff you want. <laughs> what? Nothing. Because he used perishable? <laughs> I was just funny. Oh, I have a question uh, for you specifically, and it's not about cooking at all. Are you going to have house guests, extra house guests for, for Thanksgiving? I am. Oh, you mean my evacuees? Yeah. No, they should. I mean, they're allowed the back in. Yes. But, I mean, I might. My parents are coming, too. I mean, it could get real. It could get really cozy. Are they related to you? Uh, who? The, my parents? The no. <laughs> no, because I'm just curious if I'm just curious if they're okay with you referring to them as evacuees. <laughs> I, I feel like it adds an added drama. They're millennials. They like that. They're millennial evacuees. <laughs> uh, I was I was reading uh, on social media. There was uh, overheard in L.A. or something like that. Someone had said that they're out. Well, I've got 
uh, refugees in my house. Yeah, they're I called, all, they're, yeah, they're yeah, I called ref- my cousin. I was like, you're nailing refugee fashion right now because <laughs> yeah. she had like a headband on, no makeup. I was like, you're killing it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It could be crazy. Hey, I have a question for you when we come back because people like – uh, the traditional Thanksgiving Day meal, I think, for probably the most part. But if you're going to screw around with one dish, you're going to maybe switch something up, what would it be? And uh, and, and where would you get the, the, the least amount of pushback from people who don't like change on Thanksgiving? That and how to hide cocktails from the alcoholic family members. Oh, and how not to get your alcoholic cocktail recipes from Neil Saavedra. Oh, because, because mom will be passed because out. Mom has she no because it did exactly what it was supposed to do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was guaranteed. I didn't know you were going to give it to your mother who doesn't drink. The annual time when we talk about how Neil drugged my mother. She has no liver. You know, I should take her out to dinner like nope. before Thanksgiving every year to apologize. You should. Yeah. She'll be here Thursday through Monday. Mm. Gary and Jan will continue. Neil Savedra, the fork reporter, has joined us. <laughs> We are talking with Neil Saavedra, getting you ready for Thanksgiving. (laughs) I'm out. Speaking of Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, We're talking about some of the things. Listen, if uh, if you're going to do turkey for Thanksgiving, now is the time to start thinking about getting it, whether it's frozen or fresh. If you're going to order one, get on the horn. If you're going to buy a frozen one, don't wait. Uh, You can wait for all your perishable later. Perishables later. Uh, but, But now is the time to get that big bird up into that cool spot. Shannon, uh, when when we were last with you, Shannon had asked a question about <laughs> what, what stuff do you mess with and what stuff do you not mess yes. with on the Thanksgiving table. Don't mess with anything. Really? So here's the rule. Here's my rule. Have the basics. Don't mess with them. Okay, for Tra- you, what are the basics? Tradition. So that, let's say it's your turkey. Got you got to have a normal turkey. Uh, whatever your cranberries are, whether you have it in gel style or a sauce, whether or whatever. you eat it right yeah. out of the can. Right. Okay. Have the basics that your family has built and you've seen every single time on the table: a mashed potato and a sweet yeah. potato. Have those. Yeah. Whatever it is, got it. Have those. If you want to do something on top of that, a secondary bird that's flavored a little differently, fine. Do a smaller bird that way um, as an experiment. Do a side dish as an experiment. The fact is people build up in their mind what Thanksgiving is going to be because they have those traditions and those flavors in their head. When you veer too much off of those, it, it, doesn't, right. have, it doesn't have the response that people think. Yeah. Because everyone thinks, oh, this is going to be great. I'm doing something different. But it's about the tradition of – think of it this way. If your parents said, you know what, we have this great tradition that we do here every single year. I wanted to do something different, and I went and randomly chose a family that none of us know to come spend the holidays with us. <laughs> I mean, it sounds sweet on paper. It sounds yeah. like, oh, my gosh, it's Thanksgiving, of course. Bring it, all it doesn't feel like no. Thanksgiving if it's not what you've known. No, because the first yeah. thing Shannon thinks is, oh, man, i got to wear regular pants. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like no sweats. I actually no would belching. not put on regular pants for a strange family. Like if, you know. That was a test. Oh, was you it? You failed. So, there, I so don't mess. I want to see her in, in, 
MC Hammer pants. <laughs> oh, you can borrow them from Mark Thompson from his Morocco pants. Those are great. Yeah. You can, he actually smuggled a couple Ooh. extra people home with him. Oh, on those. But don't mess with those. If you're going to do something, an experiment, do it as an additional dish. Make sure everybody has the standards, everything down to the cheap rolls. If you buy the cheap rolls when you were you know, younger, mm-hmm. had those cheap like uh, heat and serve or whatever, mm-hmm. then have those. Because if that's what your family – don't go, oh, I got this new fancy brioche and everybody's going to – no, if that's what they're used to, make sure that it's on that table. Good rule. Makes perfect sense. Although I'm trying to remember, both my parents and my wife's parents are going to be there. That sounds like fun. Well, and I don't think there's a lot of – there is – I was going to say there is a lot of crossover when it comes to the common foods that would be the normal traditional stuff that we serve. But there's going to be a – I think there was a mincemeat pie that was that was mentioned, and I don't know how that's going to go over. I'm picturing you in a smoking jacket and a pipe talking to your father-in-law about jetting. About jetting. <laughs> I picture when I you jetted. in a AAA dirty, stained T-shirt eating cranberry sauce out of a can. In the backyard with mm-hmm. just me and the dog. Yep. Maybe the brother-in-law. Maybe a Bud Light. There's tradition for you. Bud Light. There's no that does not exist in my house. Oh, okay. I appreciate that. I'm sorry. Ugh. Yeah, you should have probably Budweiser. sent that towards the Mexican in the room because that's pretty good chance there's Bud Light. We in my don't house. do racism here. We don't really? see race. Yeah, we're, we we're colorblind. <clears throat> I figured by the look of your skin, you're colorblind. John, my dear, how are you? <laughs> good. Well, how welcome. Are you? Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. What is your favorite much. Thanksgiving Day treat? I just eat a really large plate of stuffing. Okay. That's, that's it. Mostly, yeah. The turkey, you're not a not much. You're not no, much I don't potatoes like or anything. No, I don't like any of the Thanksgiving food. It was my least favorite holiday because it is. my mom would just give me a huge plate of food and every single thing I hated. It's like, who wants to do that? It can get bland. I mean, when you think about the, John it's not the Cobell most festive. Is the only person that can ruin Thanksgiving. Yeah. Just, the whole holiday is yeah. about being thankful. You can't even be thankful for one freaky day. No. Yeah. Not if you're going to serve that. Yeah. Oh, my crap. He has a penchant for ruining everything. Uh, what's coming up on the show? Um, Killing well, babies or, or whatever. <laughs> Urinating on rainbows. <laughs> Uh, we're going to keep going after PG&E because they were warning people about the wires sparking, but right. they didn't do anything to stop it Yeah, you know, until the whole town burned down. So we'll, uh, we'll discuss that. Coming up. Excellent. John and Ken, up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Oh, goodbye. Gary and Shannon.